August 24th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Denver District Attorney Beth McCann announcing on Thursday that the police officers, officers who handcuffed and detained Colorado Independent Editor Susan Green will not face any charges. Natasha Gardner, Articles Editor of 5280. Um, I guess I'm not terribly shocked because you didn't see a whole lot of uh, crimes being uh, uh, committed here, at least from the outside looking in, but still a surprising event. And as a fellow editor of another publication, how do you feel seeing this event go down? Well, I think what's interesting to me is if anyone thought that these sort of moments, you know, how the police interacts with our community would, would disappear from headlines, that's not the case. It's very much still in headlines and for good reasons. Um, another headline that came out related to police this week actually involves an ongoing pilot in Denver where we're looking at when police make stops. We're going to be gathering more demographic information about uh, the people involved in that. So that could be age, gender, the officer's perception of race, and the idea is that we can start having a better idea of bias that might be involved or not involved in those situations. So I thought that between these two headlines, it's, it's an interesting moment to reflect that like this issue is not going away. We will continue to be talking about it both on the show but in Denver and Colorado for a long time. I totally agree. Join us, Krista Kafer, columnist of the Denver Post. Uh, Krista, do you think we should expect to hear anything from the new Denver police chief that maybe doesn't address any particular something that happened illegally, but I guess behavior that shouldn't have happened, or at least address how this went down? This sounded like it was kind of mm -hmm. a pretty smarmy First Amendment sort of a thing, at least from the outside looking in. Yeah, I'm sure things were said internally, but I, I think about you know what, what was said to uh, to Green, the act like a lady, totally inappropriate, handcuff, handcuffing her, totally inappropriate. But I also understand where the police are coming from. Here they have a mentally disturbed man on the ground who's naked. They're trying to take care of him and trying to assess the situation. Is there danger here? Danger both to the person, to to the public. It was just one of those difficult moments where people could have acted better and didn't. I think we put the incident behind us. I'm sure some guidelines have been issued internally. I think we move on. Eric Sonnen, political analyst. Uh, if anything has been said internally, it, would it be a positive move for the Denver police to talk about that, hey, you know, we look at this situation, we want to re, uh, respect the First Amendment, but we were trying to address these issues. Do we need more explanation? Well, I, I think I'd start by saying I can understand where this police officer was coming from. I mean, some of us around this table know Susan. What a menacing figure. I mean, she is well north of 100 pounds, uh, at, least five, <laughs> at least five foot five, maybe five foot six inches tall. I could see why this person felt under some kind of mortal threat, uh, in all seriousness. Um, it was inappropriate. I get where Beth McCann is, that her job is to prosecute crimes, and if you can't get a conviction or if there's not necessarily even a crime there, it's not her job to take it to trial, uh, and that that's probably an unfair use of prosecutorial authority. I still would have liked to see Beth McCann herself come out with some kind of statement and or the police chief and or the mayor saying that while this is not necessarily prosecutable, it's one thing as Krista said just to handle it internally. I think something like this needs to be handled externally and publicly with some kind of responsible official saying this is not how we're going to do business in this city. Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. Thanks for running at the panel, Hill, Joey. Uh, there's a lot of things we can say around this table that should happen. Do you think any of those will happen? Well, there are things that should happen, and a law was broken here. In 2015, that the legislature passed the right to record law. Beth McCann supported that law. I looked it up this morning. And 
Now she's thrown that law out the window. You know, she's been DA for a couple of years now. She had a clear opportunity to side with the law or side with the police, and she sided with police. But I should say in full disclosure that I've been friends with Susan Green for 16 years, and there are a lot of good reasons to slap cups on Susan Green, but this wasn't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Let's get to it. U.S. Senator Cory Gardner found himself in the middle of quite the news day this week. During a campaign rally in West Virginia, President Donald Trump paid Gardner a variety of compliments, which by themselves would likely have not made national headlines. But the fact that the rally and the president's comments came amidst the release of the results of the Manafort trial and comments from Michael Cohen put Gardner on many national cable news feeds. Uh, Natasha, I, I imagine some politicians are about uh, any press is good press. This may or may not have tested that theory, but I'm not one to judge. What do you think? Well, he will forever be part of Terrible Tuesday or Terrific Tuesday, depending on what your political views are of what, what happened that particular day. I mean, yes, he was, he was in, in the frame. He was plastered over every major news network, but he wasn't the main story. He wasn't the person that they were talking about. So I think that by the time this becomes of importance to him, which would be when he's up for re-election, maybe it would be an issue, but we have so so many news cycles between now and then. I mean, we have so many, the news is moving at such a rapid pace, I'm not sure that they would even have to address this by the time he's up for a re-election. The bigger question um, for, for Colorado politicians is not necessarily that maybe, maybe they were lucky they weren't on the plane or at the rally, but um, the question of how you respond to what happened on Tuesday is, is of, of essence right now. So whatever the political game plan was on Monday with your advisors, I bet it was different by Tuesday. It was probably different by Wednesday. It might be different by the time that this broadcasts. It's just the way that things move right now. Um, but for the people who are dealing with this for November, they're going to have to deal with it. I think Gardner will, will be pretty safe. Uh, Krista, I, I agree with Natasha that between now and 2020, it would be shocking if we remember anything uh, from this new cycle, uh, let alone what, uh, what video we have of Cory Gardner. But... And Natasha brings up another good point about Republicans currently in Colorado. Uh, elected leaders, uh, I see somebody like a Mike Kaufman who's facing a pretty uh, uh, steep uh, challenge in his district, uh, probably wanted to be more on the, the moderate side of things. He has something like a Walker Stapleton who's come out, at least in the primary part of the campaign, that he supports President Trump. Uh, where do you see elected and wanting to be elected leaders in the Republican Party coming out on the headlines we saw this week? I think that uh, Senator Cory Gardner and also Congressman Kaufman had done an excellent job of, of, of sort of steering down a middle path. They call out the president when he does bad things, yet they're willing to work with him. They don't alienate Trump supporters, but they also respect us critics. I think they've been very dignified in their opposition, also their willingness to work with the president when it benefits Colorado. So kudos to both of them. I know it's difficult right now. Um, the president's... <laughs> messes, uh, I should say self-imposed messes, continue to, uh, to amount. But I think these two people, at least I hope, because they've been very dignified and very good for Colorado, I hope that they'll be able to rise above that fray. Eric, uh, not really worried about his re-election in 2020, but Cory Gardner has a significant job right now in trying to get other Republican senators elected. And many folks talked about, well, there's not that many that are up for re-election in this particular cycle, so the, the, the risk is slighter that the Republicans wouldn't lose the Senate. But it doesn't make his job probably any easier seeing the headlines he saw on Tuesday. What do you think of the job Cory Gardner has this year when it comes to the election? Yeah, it's a very tough job. He's operating in a, a very unfriendly cycle. He's the head, uh, as you were referring to, Dominic, of the National Republican Senate Committee. I think that's the uh, title, but it's the uh, 
campaign arm of, of the Senate Republicans. Uh, I, I flash back on Michael Bennett had a similar position with the Democrats. I believe it was in 2014 or perhaps 2012, but it was also a anti-Obama, tough territory kind of cycle for the Democrats. Now, Cory Gardner has it in a tough cycle for Republicans. On the good news front, he doesn't have that many seats to defend. On the bad news front is uh, their majority is still in jeopardy, which is the reason he was in West Virginia. Joe Manchin, Democratic senator from West Virginia, is one of the top targets. Manchin is personally popular in West Virginia, but, I mean, no state loves Donald Trump more than West Virginia, as we saw at that rally uh, on Tuesday. I don't know why Cory Gardner needed to get on that plane. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're doing everything possible to take out Manchin in West Virginia, but being at a rally where you're not the main attraction, you're not any attraction at all, you're just some other senator from some other state, I don't know what that does for you. Cory Gardner, it strikes me, has actually done a more effective job than some senators at distancing himself from Donald Trump and trying to leverage some power, whether it's on the marijuana issue with Jeff Sessions or others, and not being completely obsequious to Donald Trump. But that was not the impression that you got watching the visuals on Tuesday and watching that rally. I haven't watched a Trump rally in quite some while. I decided to tune that one on. It is an otherworldly experience to watch one of those things from start to finish. Joey, here we have Cory Gardner in a, a, a pivotal role when it comes to the Senate re-election in 2018, looking for his own re-election in 2020. All amidst uh, a, a constant hurricane we have is the news cycle surrounding our president. Uh, what do you take away from what we saw this week? Well, I don't think Cory pays a price for this. You know, he may be a fool, but he's our fool. All Cory Gardner has <laughs> to do is stand up in front of an audience and give them that smile, and they're going to love him. He's an exceptional politician, and I don't think this is going to matter. You know, and he can always hearken back to the time that he called President Trump a buffoon. He's done enough to oppose the president, and he's done enough to support the Republican agenda. I don't think he pays a price. You know, there's a reason that Joey's nickname around here is Ratings Gold. I mean, you have something like, you know, he's a fool, but he's our fool. You just can't get that anywhere else. You're, you're welcome, everybody. Our next topic, Colorado Secretary of State's office announced this week that both the transportation ballot proposals officially qualified for this November's ballot. Uh, Krista, what we have is two uh, really competing measures. Technically, they can, they can both go down or both be approved, but you really have A or B. Uh, a being the uh, fixer dam road, since they qualified a couple hours before. We'll go with them first. Fixer dam roads, the Independence Institute, which would uh, bond, borrow money to pay for transportation, and that would take some sources from the Colorado legislature, but it would not raise any taxes. The other one you have from the Chamber of Commerce that would have a sales tax increase to pay for transportation, which will leave alone any part of the budget. Really clear choice for a lot of people. Uh, this is going to be a fun battle to watch. What do you think? Well, who doesn't want to vote for something that has the word damn in it? Seriously. And so you've got that going for that one. Also, you can raise uh, bonds or raise taxes. I think the average Coloradans not going to want to have their taxes raised, even though it's just a sales tax. People are frustrated by traffic. They would like to see some of these roads repaved or fixed or added to. But I really, if, if I'm going to put my money on any of them, I'm going to put my damn money on the, the damn roads one. 
<laughs> well, damn it, I see your point. Uh, so, uh, Eric, as you look at these measures, uh, it feels to me, it, and, and everything has been so upside down in the political world right now, I used to think, and I, I still adhere to it because I'm just an old-fashioned guy, that there are these group of moderates in Colorado that really decide our statewide races. There's, a, there's a really a passionate people on both sides, but it's going to be this middle that's going to decide it. It feels that this transportation proposals, both of them, can be uh, somewhat uh, influential on that middle ground. If that middle ground still exists, what do you think? Well, to your question, Dominic, you, you pose it as A or B. I'd suggest there are other options. It's A or B or none of the above. And I think there is a risk here that it gets so muddled between Fix Our Damn Roads and the Chamber's tax proposal that perhaps neither one wins. Adding into the muddle is we're also in all like, or I believe it's certified for the ballot, have an education tax increase, a $1.6 billion education tax increase. So voters are not only going to be confronted with a, a substantial transportation tax increase, but also an education tax, and that contributes to the A or B or none of the above or what about education. So I think it gets... Uh, it gets very complicated. In terms of those moderate voters, I think the decision really facing them is, do they believe in their hearts that it is possible to fix our roads that are clearly in disrepair and under capacity without a tax increase? Or do they intuitively think some kind of tax increase is necessary? There will also be a huge disparity in this campaign in terms of money to put this message on TV. The Fix Our Damn Roads people, Independence Institute and others, I believe, spent most of their money getting it on the ballot. They are not going to have the millions and millions of dollars that the chamber and that crowd will have to run ads and everything, direct mail and everything else in favor of their proposal. So there's an intuitive appeal to Fix Our Damn Roads, but it will have to withstand a whole lot of money and... I'm glad to know that's one of the first debates you and I will be doing Absolutely. as part of the Cara Decides debate series a couple weeks down the road. A wonderful segue starting after Labor Day. Uh, every Friday at 7 o'clock we'll be featuring debates uh, on the Colorado Decides series. Eric and I, of course, with our friends at CBS4 and KOA News Radio, every Friday at 7 o'clock the transportation one's one of the very first ones out of the, out of the gate. Joey, what kind of effect can both of these proposals have in a ballot that in a year where there's not going to be a lot of political oxygen left in the room? Well, you know, it's a a choice. You know, John Caldera and the Independence Institute, they don't need a million dollars to run advertising. The chamber is going to run the advertising for them because you're being offered a choice. Uh, You can get this by paying taxes or you can get this with the taxes that you're already paying. To most voters, that seems like a pretty easy choice. And it's not just education that's asking for money. A lot of cities, you know, Denver is asking for three or four different tax hikes. I mean, how much can we handle? And then there's also history. Colorado voters haven't been kind to statewide tax increases in the past, and I don't think they're going to be kind to this tax increase for roads, mainly because there's an option. You know, in a lot of these, that they're very good causes that you either vote for it or the wolf's at the door and he's coming in. But with this one, you've got an option. The legislature has, uh, has put money into transportation that you can vote for the, uh, the uh, fix our damn roads and get your damn roads fixed. <laughs> and Natasha, you know, we're it, fixer, John Caldera is almost paying for this segment because we're doing talking a lot about fixer damn roads. But on the <laughs> other side of it, the, the, there is it does take money away from the general fund to do this bonding. So there's issues at the at the legislature, which gets into the kind of the, the nitty gritty of, of lawmaking and budgets and things like that, which yeah. is hard to get attention to, especially to a lot of voters with a little bit of amount of time. Uh, 
What do you think of the roads that both of these ballot proposals need to travel these next uh, few weeks? Pun intended. Very intended. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, well, I think what's interesting is, is there's commonality here. We all agree that our roads are bad <laughs> and that we need to pay for them. How we pay for them, that, of course, is, is the real question here. Um, what I'm interested to see is when voters will take notice. You know, we mentioned the other initiatives that are going to be on the ballot, the, the sort of constant request on this ballot for increased taxes to pay for things. At what point will voters start to say, well, why isn't that in our budget already? Or why why don't we have other ways of funding this? Why do we have to come to the voters again and again for these type of tax increases? I think that's going to be a story in the upcoming months, regardless of which of the initiative you support or not. Um, it's kind of, well, how did we get to this this space? And that could be an entirely different segment. <laughs> so I won't go into that um, right now. But I think ultimately that's, that's what people are going to do. And they're going to start to pull out their calculator and say, all right, so my next trip to the store is going to cost this much more. And do I want to pay for that or not? I mean, but if there was a time to ask, you ask when the state is flush. You ask when the state is feeling great about its economy, and that's the time to do it. So I'm not surprised that all of these have ended up on the ballot. Both major party gubernatorial candidates, Jared Polis and Walker Stapleton, spoke at the 2018 Energy Summit this week. Polis was heckled by three individuals during his speech. The hecklers were booed and then removed from the room. In his speech, Polis also reiterated his stance against Proposition 97, saying it would all but ban fracking in Colorado. Uh, Eric, uh, Jared Polis is in a tough situation. He, you've got to go to the summit. I, well, I guess you don't have to, but the political thing is sometimes you've got to take the bitter pill take the hits, and then move forward. Uh, I'm sure this isn't the last we're going to hear about the uh, oil and natural gas industry with Jared Polis, but do we see anything from this summit that sticks down the road? I think it's just a play that's going to repeat itself throughout the campaign. Yes, Polis chose, and it was the right decision to go to that summit. He has chosen not to go to Club 20, where similar issues would be engaged here at, at the start of September. But Given that the setback issue seems to be on the ballot or headed that way, and that's going to attract so much advertising dollars, this issue is going to be front and center on voters' minds, and candidates are going to have to address it on almost a daily basis. Walker Stapleton has an easy way of handling it. He's opposed to the setbacks. He's largely, he'll be in favor of responsible regulation, but he's largely in favor of the oil and gas industry. That's his, that's his constituency. Jared Polis, on the other hand, he needs votes on both sides of the issue. He needs centrist votes who think that this is several steps too far in terms of the setback proposal. But he also needs votes off the Democratic left, the environmental community, and people who've been historically friendly with him who are in favor of this measure. So there's much more of a political challenge here to Jared Polis than to Walker Stapleton. Joey, I've made the point uh, with anyone who lives around here, which is a pretty small list, uh, but uh, when I have about that this issue right now reminds me a lot of what the personhood issue and those amendments did for Republican candidates, that um, you had Republican candidates that had to come out against it because of the what it would do really for law, but they still, like Eric had said, need to appeal to the base who are probably going to vote for it. Uh, it feels that Polis and probably other Democrats can be in that situation. I mean, that's why the Colorado Democratic Party came out for it. Uh, what do you think? Well, I think Jared's been alienating his base, that far-left environmental base, for some time. I remember this time, a little later than this time last year, they were upset with him because he wasn't articulating his renewable energy plan very well. Jared, I was there the other day. Jared had to go to that because he needs to try to keep as much of that money 
uh, from the oil and gas industry. Anadarko and Noble can write million-dollar checks as long as he can, but he needs to keep that money on the sideline. You know, he came out against Initiative 97, which is a 2,500-foot setback, but just four years ago, he was in favor of a setback that was just 2,000 feet. And, you know, the hecklers, I'm a big believer that there are no coincidences in politics. Walker Stapleton gets up, and he's clearly, you know, in, in league with the oil and gas industry, and nobody says anything. Polis gets up next, and then he gets booed, and these people get lit, let out, and then suddenly he looks great to these people. He's one of them. So if these were indeed genuine uh, environmental activists, they didn't help their cause. They helped the cause of Walker Stapleton. They helped the cause of Jared Polis, if they're truly against that. Wow, interesting uh, takes. It's great to have an a eyewitness to the situation. Uh, Natasha, this is, even if there wasn't going to be something on the ballot this year, this was going to be a big issue between oil and gas and Jared Polis and, and Walker Stapleton. But with that ballot, if, it do, if that proposal does make the ballot, it's going to be enormous. Uh, what do you expect to see down the road? Well, I think that, yes, this topic is going to dominate the the conversation in many ways. But if there's anything I've learned in covering this race so far, which seems like it's been going on for a very long time, um, is that none of these topics has, has stood out as the topic that will define the campaign. You know, I can ask uh, an expert today what the hot topics are going to be, and fracking will probably be on that list. And then I can ask tomorrow, and it'll be something completely different. The one thing that seems to be a consensus is around topics related to growth, which you can probably make an argument that most of them are related to that. But I think that's going to be the defining conversation for all for both of these candidates is how they sort of perform on that question of do you like what's happening in Colorado right now with its growth or not? And so in the ways that that relates to oil and gas and energy conversations, yes, that will be a big player. But I think today was just or this week was just a start of these conversations. I think it's going to get uh, mixed up in the rest of the topics and we're going to see a lot more conversations that are expanded beyond this issue. Uh, Krista, it doesn't seem to me there's any real slam dunks here. While uh, um, uh, pro proposal Proposition 97 is fairly extreme, it would basically just wipe out fracking in Colorado, it's not like it's not going to get any sympathy. Uh, it, and I'm saying this is pure coincidence. I'm no scientist, no geologist, but you get headlines like you had this morning of a couple earthquakes in Colorado. We're not used to seeing any earthquakes. We remember of earthquakes in Oklahoma and things like that. It gets people thinking. And again, they could be completely unrelated. I am not a scientist. But... That's what changes that little middle ground that's available. Uh, where do you think the Republican Party is going to be on this, seeing that we're already a state that's pretty regulated? We are. I mean, it's very, very well regulated uh, fracking. And if we want to move away from dirty coal, and coal does emit a lot of carbon dioxide, we have to move to things like natural gas. Uh, no matter what people say, you cannot run the state on just solar power and wind power. And little dirty secret with wind power, it kills an awful lot of birds, so you can't put it everywhere. And you can't keep the hospitals lit up, you can't keep uh, houses lit up, you can't keep the state lit up if you just have uh, renewables, hydro, I guess nuclear, um, solar and wind. You've got to have natural gas at the very least in the mix. And if you have 97 pass, you eliminate at least some of the Colorado product that will provide clean energy for the state going forward. I think Republicans are on the right side of the issue. I kudos to uh, Congressman Jared Polis for standing up to some of the crazies in his base. He's going to have to rethink, though, his renewable energy forever uh, platform because it just scientifically, realistically, doesn't work. Let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Usually Miss Calhoun starts us off, but she is traveling this week. 
Ms. Gardner, the, the floor is yours. Well, I would say the end of summer, but that seems too easy. <laughs> There's a lot of options for this week, but I'm actually, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to steal my time to talk about something, um, say something nice about someone. With John McCain, the news came out on Friday morning that he's discontinuing his um, cancer treatments. It's just, what an incredible example, whether you agreed with his politics or not, of, of duty and service to the country. Um, so just thank you for his, his work. Well, uh, uh, major faux pas starting disgrace on such a nice note, but that is okay. <laughs> Your disgrace of the week, Krista? My disgrace of the week is going to go to progress now. Um, I know this happened a couple of weeks ago, but since I wrote about it in my column today, and I have to promote myself on your show, then what I'm, I'm going to say, uh, you know, the, the, the prank with moving the Putin portrait into the, the Capitol building was insanely funny. And every time I think about it, I laugh. I mean, I laugh out loud. It's very, very funny. But was it appropriate? Probably not. And I think, uh, you know, read my column and uh, get the full sense of why I think that. Eric. I'll read the column, and I often agree with your thinking, Krista, but it was a good prank. <laughs> um, we could do a whole show of disgraces this week. I'll go with our president, and particularly whatever becomes of the Michael Cohn plea deal, other people who are now turning on the president, wherever this heads legally, the bottom line fact is he has lied to this country over and over and over again. There's been an evolution of lies with respect to the payoffs to Stormy Daniels, to Karen McDougal, perhaps to others. And wherever it goes legally, there is an uncontestable fact that this man is a liar and he's a pathological liar. Joey. Well, I'm going to plug my own column this week <laughs> in ColoradoPolitics.com because I took on Mayor Hancock in the city of Denver. They've got long-range plans for absolutely everything except one thing, parking. They have no plan. You know, John Hickenlooper was elected to office promising to do something, and right before he ran for governor, he dropped a long-range plan for parking, and that plan has never been updated in the time since. Michael Hancock is asleep at the wheel, literally, as we uh, face this problem. And as all of us sitting around this table know today, it is nearly impossible to find parking in proximity to where you're going, and the light rail isn't getting there fast enough. Now, people who want to ride bicycles and hike can do that, but it doesn't work for business. So bad news for Denver, good news for Lakewood. Time to say something nice, but we need a bumper sticker edition very quickly. Natasha. Molly Brown, no secret that I'm a huge fan of her. Her house has been renovated. It's a great story, but it's also a great example of preserving spaces in our city. Krista. Kudos to Attorney General Jeff Sessions for standing up for himself for once and telling the president that he won't be his private henchman. Eric. Ditto that one, but I'm really going where Natasha started a few minutes ago. Senator John McCain, he would acknowledge that he's a flawed human being, and he is, but he's also a representative of some of the best that the Republican Party has to offer, and of, uh, as he would say, duty above, duty and service above country. Joey. My friend Trent Siebert, a legendary journalist in Colorado, uh, died this week, and we're all poor for it. That's all the time we have this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Take CIO wherever you go. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, we are there. Check out our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.